Support for this episode comes from the Apple Martini. Since at least the 1990s, this fine libation has been refreshing young and old alike with its crisp and pomacious mid-palate backed by a sweet and sour frame on the finish. Make your friends green with envy and order one today. Visit mediumplus.com slash appletini for 10% off your next order and free shipping. Hey, what's up? This is Nick Davis with Medium Plus. And for today's episode, we have a extra special interview that's coming up a little bit later in the show. But before we get to that, I thought it'd be fun to play a little game. So let's assume that you are a bartender as a listener and you're in a bar and it could be any kind of bar, but we'll assume that, uh, you know, cocktails uh, or let's not assume. Let's just assume it's any kind of freaking bar, right? That does uh, liquor for sure. And we have a guest come in and it could be someone in a group or on their own. You know, we're going to keep this imaginary scenario pretty loose and they know what they want. No menu needed. Maybe you don't have a menu. Maybe you have like a 12 page menu somewhere in between. And they might ask, Oh, may I please have, or the prevailing, can I get a, and I'd like you to imagine, you know, what image comes in your mind when I say, these drinks and i'm gonna say a list of drinks here and just imagine who might order uh, whatever these are so let's get started a cosmo on the skinny side a godfather the house malbec a last word a shot of wild turkey and a pbr a glass of isirtico a cherry bomb a fernet some Beaujolais Nouveau, a Citron Lemon Drop, not too sweet, a Barrel-Aged Boulevardier uh, on tap, please, a Moscow Mule with Kettle, a Grasshopper, a Double Fuzzy Navel, a Well Gin and Tonic, uh, AMF as a shot, Rombauer Chardonnay with a side of ice, of course. A Maker's Old Fashioned, Bacardi and Coke, a Dirty Goose, a Bud Light Lime, a Top Shelf Long Island, mm. a Trinidad Sour, a glass of Prosecco, a Flemish Sour Ale, a Pitcher of Fireball, a French 75, a Mai Tai, a glass of Cru Beaujolais, an Imperial IPA, a Royal Bermuda Yacht Club, a Coffee Nudge, a DTO, a Shock Top, and finally a White Zinfandel. Now, I would guess that a variety of characters may have flashed to your mind as I went through the list. It could have been everyone from a, a fratalicious dude to your grandma to some corporate ad exec uh, to that cute girl who works at the gelato shop to some hipster you know, bartender or sommelier to you know, a, a regular Joe if such a thing exists. And you know, perhaps your grandma drinks uh, AMFs and... You know, the, the frat guy drinks uh, Godfather and the girl at the gelato shop drinks a uh, shot of wild turkey and a PBR. But, 
you know, in, in my experience, uh, people tend to follow patterns, whether they, they know it or not. It, it can be kind of funny and insightful and, uh, you know, inspiring to maybe go outside of a comfort zone, comfort zone and try something that's a bit different. But, you know, that leads into our interview here. And uh, our interview is with Mr. Robert Dechen Roland of uh, Oliver's Twist up here on Finney Ridge in Seattle. And I first met Robert a number of years ago. I can't remember the exact time frame, but probably five or six years ago uh, while I was first getting into cocktails. And uh, I ended up, you know, after a period of time working um, under him at Oliver's Twist as a bartender. And he taught me a ton about cocktails and um, just, you know, how to be, be great behind the bar and a great host. And no matter what someone orders, as you'll hear, he, he always wants to show them a good time and, and not pass judgment, which is, of course, uh, what a good hospitality professional should do. So you'll have to forgive a bit of audio quality on, on this one. Uh, we did the interview at um, Lighthouse Coffee, and although they serve a fine cup of coffee, it's uh, adjacent to a busy bus stop, so I had to fiddle with the audio quite a bit, still figuring that out, but... Um, bear with me. The the interview is great, and Robert did a fantastic job. So stay tuned, and here we go. Change comes in waves, doesn't it? Man, yeah. But it's yeah. Getting Ariel left, so Ariel moved down to Portland. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, yeah, a lot of change real fast, but it also made it easier, staffing wise. Of course. Um, yeah, we got really lucky. Some of the people, I have kind of a carte blanche with the bartenders. She, they want to meet them before they say yes, but that's just more of a formality, or at least it has been of course. the last four or five hours. Um, yeah, the servers, we usually sit down together. And yeah, actually, the, the, the interviews usually last about, I don't know, five to eight minutes. <laughs> and then they walk out, we look at each other, and there's never been a time where it's not like, Yep. No. No, no. No. <laughs> without, like, without naming names, what what's an experience you remember where you're just like, oh, forget it. Oh, just, you know, just have somebody who's been working for, I don't know, like, well, the guy who's maybe 42, 40, 45-ish, like, kind of like a medieval haircut, like a bob almost, but, like, a little too well kept to just be like a tangled mess. So he's like going for the Lancelot. And he just said, he's just he's like, oh, you know, I've been working here. It's like back on the East Coast, taking care of my mom. And so you're like, okay, like, did you look at the menu? He's like, not really, but I'm like, he's got all these classic cocktails down, you know. I know I know how to make a Manhattan. She's like, sure, sure, I can do those. And it's just. I don't know. He just had beer tag, like a life, lifetime beer tender stamped on his forehead, which is, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Like I, you know, things go haywire. Like I could pour beer. I could be happy pouring beer. Um, yeah. There's, have you read Joy of Mixology? Is that, yeah, yeah. It's a while. It, yeah. It's like this part in there where he describes three people, three like perfect bartenders and, I'm sure I've told you this before. It's one of my favorite anecdotes, but one of the three, and all three are great stories. Go into them, but like one of them is 
woman miniskirt, like behind the bar, shakes these shots, pours them through her fingers to strain the ice, like into three different glasses, gives it to the two customers, cheers them, takes a shot, and like for that moment, she was the perfect bartender for that time. Like, would it fly anywhere else? Maybe not, but like in her moment right there, it was as good as it could get. Like, she was the definition. Yeah, and the other two stories are great too. Um, that's the Bible for me. That, that's just the, the, not the Bible, but it's the greatest starting point for any person wanting to get into this industry. Right. Um, it's scary, really. Yeah. 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 You're the next Gary Reagan. I mean, if you oh, think about it, thing, you, like, in your own way. Four dollar. I, I don't know. I've had like. Anyway, I've had the greatest experiences when I've gone to Clyde Commons, but fucker can write. They, I mean, he writes beautifully, like, in a funny manner that is, it's like he, like, I don't know, went to technical writing was his major because he's both, like, funny and poignant. And it's frustrating as hell because, you know, I can I write in a funny manner, but kind of in a, like, aloof way that does not get the point across that I was going for at the beginning of, of when I sat down. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of respect for him and his writing style. Uh, that blog has been like a go-to for me as it has for you know, just about anybody wanting to push oh, yeah. like, boundaries of what their bartending style and like, techniques would be. Have you seen his book that... You know, I've flipped through it and I... Yeah, I, I've only flipped through it, though. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's floated. A couple of people read it while sitting at the bar, and I've flipped it around and, and, and thumbed through it. But, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't sat down with it. It's cool. It break down, uh, breaks down technique um, in a way that is digestible, I think, for people who are getting into bartending you know, early on. And um, Does it seem geared for that? It, it seems geared for people who are serious about working behind a bar um, and – might offer ways for people with experience to rethink what they're doing. But huh. It's not, I wouldn't say like overly advanced where, you know, it's not like Japanese bartending where it's like yeah. super precision, you know, getting into like shaking angles and things like that. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a little. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's, it's the one way it's, you know, there's nothing in the world wrong with beer tending. But there's also nothing in the world wrong with. That, but I think that's like all one of Oliver's twists is sort of. I don't think we do it right necessarily, but like our technique, you know, everything that should be done one way classically is done that way. There's no real deviation, even when it gets really busy, all the technique stuff stays solid, even though you start to get the feel of not like a cocktail bar. Just it just seamlessly goes from. Eight people being in there, listening to Sam Cooke, like, waxing philosophical about dumb shit to, like, near club atmosphere, like, in a really, like, I hope anyway, in a very, like, smooth way. And all the while, still cranking out, double straining, like, all the, I don't know, all the stuff that I think is important. And I would hope that the people around me think it's important as well. Uh, it's like you're preserving the integrity of the drink. 
but being flexible with the energy of the room. Yeah, which is, I don't know if it's tricky. It's, it's true. Yeah, that's why hiring a bartender, which I guess you know firsthand, just be weird because you can know everything you're supposed to do, but then when you get hit with four different styles of cocktails at one time, I think you can seize. I don't. I I remember seizing up. God, I remember them. So basically, when I got trained, I did three shifts supervised. Basically, one where I just fought around like a small dog. One where I got in there and started making drinks eight years ago. And then one where I basically worked alone, but somebody was there sitting with me. My my first solo shift was on a Sunday night. We just started opening up on Sundays because I got hired and this guy came in and he ordered a red hook he said sorry we don't even carry that beer <laughs> so actually it was a cocktail it's uh, you know mosquito do you have freaking nose he said yeah yeah I can take that so he said this is, this is fine thank you very much said, what's your name said, oh, I'm, I'm Robert hi I'm, I'm Andrew Bohr he's like it's, it's a great little spot Thanks for first day. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I really know the, the implications of that for probably a year or two, but it's, it's become one of those one of those watershed moments where I decided I'd never going to be put in a position where I didn't know a cocktail again. So he says the other one I said last night. I came in. He's yeah. Do you, you know the uh, the upside down Manhattan? Don't. I don't. He's like, oh, okay. Do you mind? No, not at all. So it's two ounces of Averna, a half ounce of rye, and then, you know, two dashes of Angostura. Sure. I go with like a lemon or orange. Uh, orange. Cool. I made it and brought it over to him. Cool. Thanks very much. Did you taste it? I did. It's just fine. It's fine. Like, where did you did you read this on a blog or in a? He's like, oh no, man, I just I made it up last week. I just see if it's like caught on yet. <laughs> like, oh, God, I just wanted to take his drink, show him the door. <laughs> uh, if it's gone viral, God, yeah, that's. I mean, that is the way. He's a little like hippie bro, ish, but he's. Seemed very sincere about, I don't yeah like yes like, oh, you should check out my blog and that would have made some sense to me but uh, anyway yeah hey I mean maybe you're just reading the wrong blogs like, that's yeah I know he could be the dollar who <laughs> he could be the biggest bartender out of Poughkeepsie that's I know I think Renton is more sorry Renton that's where my girlfriend's from <laughs> I give a shit on a daily basis. <laughs> Got to give love for Renton. That's actually one of the places people can buy a house these days. Yeah. God, to get off topic, but that's... Seriously, I was back in Spokane. And not in a nice neighborhood. It's where my sister happens to live right now. But it's just house... Four bedroom houses. $60,000, I mean, they're like... Upside down ones. I don't even know what you can get them for. But it just... It's sort of maddening in me. So think that... You're gonna live 30 minutes from work and deal with, with some of the worst traffic in the country. Yep. Now, 
to be able to own a little house, yeah, in a place that is not ideal. Yes, that's hopefully I almost was gonna like push this industry like out. You know, like right. I remember the first time I heard uh yeah, I'm not gonna remember the name of it now, but the, the first good bar good bar. Good bar in terms of the cocktailian culture. Like that opened up, I was like, You fucking me? Like there's a in Tacoma and now you know, like there's a Jim Germain bar. Yeah. Even like, these places that make, you know, no logical sense to me. There's a place where you can get a proper cocktail. I mean, you know, Spokane even is, is, has its own little culture that it's sort of theirs. And they come over here and they see things. And I think they maybe sometimes take things back and sometimes leave things. But there's like a real female-led cocktail culture growing in, in Spokane. Which is, wow. Yeah, it, it's totally feels organic and they're sort of feeling their way and, and creating their own thing. It's not like everyone read Joy of Mixology and, uh, you know, like they actually did, but then took what they thought was good about these things. And it's it's really, it's its own thing. There's a lot more infusions. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's awesome. It's got its own little culture. Like, it's pretty exciting. I wonder if it's connected at all with the Boise scene. I remember visiting there and there's a hotel called the modern and they just had this really solid cocktail bar and had like a scoffa on the menu and i was like wow i wasn't expecting just cocktails with like smoked hickory bitters yeah. in boise you know and that's sort of what i'm talking about it's like the funny things that people pick and choose you know like i'm not saying that seattle was doing it whatever but i remember when uh henry Bohr was was, was at naga um, he, he like was doing that. He was smoking a cocktail under a glass, like covering it, letting it sit, and then stirring it. It was, I don't know, kind of wasn't for me anyway. Sure. Like I, I like the results, but the the thing was like that. And that's one of the things about Oliver's twist is it hones you to not do certain things. Like you can't really do tiki because it just takes crushed ice. The amount of time we we can't execute. Um, but you know they're like they're, they're in Spokane. They're choosing to do smoked cocktails and boys. They're choosing to do these things, which yeah, I don't know. Not that they were hot here, now they're not. But you don't hear about people doing it too often here, and right? It kind of went away, and for them to cherry pick that aspect of whatever Pueblo cocktail culture is surprising and interesting, and it makes you want to go there because you're not just getting. You know, like their best triad zigzag or vessel or, you know, any place that, yeah, exists here. And those places can't ever be replicated. You can't ever do zigzag anywhere else. And right. to try to do so is a fool's errand. Yeah. I remember when uh, the Legion opened up, you had. Casey, one of the ex-owners, and you had Marie in there, and it was just, it just felt wrong. It felt like they were trying to not make lightning strike twice because, you know, Ben Dory has been, like, meticulous in creating a bar. I think initially it was a bar to allow Murray to flourish, and, and it did. It was my favorite bar in the city yeah. by a 
long shot. There's so many things about that. that you know, although you can never copy it, you want to cherry pick. But the level of service there is just unparalleled, in my opinion. Um, but it seems like they tried to plop it down in a lesion. And they had, like, it was crazy. The lineup of bartenders that was working there. I mean, you know, like, to work with Casey and to work with Murray, like, every of them must have been on the line around the block applications and there was because the people that they got uh like the creme de la creme in seattle but it just never the 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 atmosphere wasn't right it didn't feel good i mean it didn't feel good in there to have murray there didn't and i you know and that might completely be me thinking that the only place he should ever be is is behind the stick at zigzag but anyway yeah it's you can't do that you can't that's when we made, you know, Oliver Swiss Magnolia. Still don't know what we're really supposed to call it because it's still just called Oliver's Twist. But it's another one of those things where it's, to me, has such a different vibe than Oliver's Twist Finney that, yeah, that it, well, it's just, not that it shouldn't have the same name, but, yeah, it just has its own vibe. It's um, different, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, in a really good way. Like, I'm so excited about the food down there. Like, yeah. Dan has, like, it's funny because the, the square footage of the restaurant is about half the size, uh, seats-wise, but the kitchen is about twice the size. So right. the food that could be executed there is, like, you could just, you could have more in-depth, more difficult menu items. And it's, like, the wings down there. Have you had those? Not, not oh, yet. Oh, man. No, man. They're, they're sous vide wings that just are something that we could never execute up in Finney. And if I drive to Magnolia, like, just to get my hands on them, they're maybe the best thing he's ever done. And he's done countless delicious things. Well, that seems like a better fit for Magnolia, being a neighborhood spot, somewhere where people can come and almost get a dinner. Like, Yeah, well, it's it's funny, too, because it's that space... You know, we thought we knew what it was going to be. Uh, and remember the initial bios? Well, yeah, we're servicing a little older crowd than the, the crowd at Finney. And, and no one touches scotch. Like, I was like, I had this awesome little fucking boutique, like, hand-picked <laughs> scotch list like, that I was so excited about. Yeah. And this shit just sat there. Like, <laughs> I, I just remember... The, the old like Johnny Walker Black was was just getting that was the only one and I'm sure it was just one dude like who just came and was just drinking Johnny Walker Black while every other selection just sat there. I remember opening up all the the wrappers because I didn't want it to look like nobody had even touched them. Some of them eventually came up to Finney because they're just literally just gathering the dust. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that comes back to the idea that who's going to order the Ardbeg alligator? You know, it's maybe not the, you know, retired person in right. Finney, or not Finney, or Magnolia. Yeah. yeah. They drink their Chivas and soda, probably. Yeah. Getting the peat monster crowd. Um, well, and, you know, it's, it's funny because it's, it, that, that space has really, like, made me take a step back in that where... I walk into a place and I'm like immediately curious, like not necessarily who the bartender is, but like what they're doing, like the feel of the place and get like an overall vibe of, of what's going on. And I, I think a part of me 
got to the place where I thought that was kind of how the world does it. And I remember like the first week in Magnolia, I pretty much worked like, yeah, the first every day down there. And I remember somebody walking in and she said, Should can I get the, I don't remember, like four oak Chardonnay? And I said, we, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't have that. She said, oh, no, sure you do. The last time I was in here, you had it. Yeah, well, we just we actually were just open. She's like, no, no, this is this is swirl, right? <laughs> and so actually, no, we just you know it's, it's all this twist. We, you know, we're, there's no place here for three months. We're building out, and and she, I mean, the place looks completely different yeah. than swirl. Yeah. And you know, she sat down, and and what she wanted was this drink and everything else going on around her. I don't know. She, it didn't really matter to her. And I, it's not right or wrong. It's just funny because it, it's so different than the way I approach a place that made me step back and realize you need to be more aware of like the num- like the multitude of ways people look at you know place when they're walking in and what their expectations are um, yeah. I mean for some people it's they're paying attention to who who else is in the bar like what kind of scene is here yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> others is like what's behind the back bar or who's behind the bar yeah that's just <laughs> Yeah, um, you know that's that's one of the funny things I find about Oliver's Twist is that like we have this reputation for having like a female-heavy clientele, and and like a, you know sometimes I think men get a whiff of this and and come in there and so it's always like I've said it so many times, but it's I have to explain to certain gentlemen that you know these ladies aren't here to like meet you they're here to meet their friends to talk about meeting you last night and what an asshole you are and that's just seriously you just see it all the time like heads together like you know talking about how our <laughs> the male the male sex is, is the lesser of the two and, and some of the stories I hear I think they might be right well even seeing the pervasive tinder crowd mm. uh, what a new cultural th- I mean I I've become a goddamn sleuth. Like, yeah. I think when somebody walks in the door, I'm like, he's actually, he's at 13. Um, yeah. Right there. Okay, thanks. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, he's walking, yeah. The, or the awkward hug with the butts out. <laughs> if they think it might go well. Oh. I just wonder, like, I, there is a social experiment waiting to happen. Like, what people order. Like, it's just always... The guy almost feels like he needs to order a beer. Like, and if they, I, we have a bourbon drink on the menu right now. Uh, Seattle Mets has the 17th best cocktail in Seattle. Uh, the Old Sally. Mm. And it's, it's bourbon-based, but it's got this blackberry sage shrub. So it is goddamn pinkest cocktail on my menu with a big sage leaf. And it's, it is delicious. And I thought it would fail immediately because like, a bourbon drinker isn't going to order a pink drink. And like pink drink drinkers aren't gonna order a bourbon drink, so I was sure this thing was destined for failure. And and lo and behold, it's become pretty damn popular. Yeah, but yeah. it's one of my favorite things when the guy orders it <laughs> on the first Tinder date, and he gets it, or he orders like a Miss Nancy, which comes in a stemless champagne flute with a fucking big sprig of tarragon. I, I should not take the amount of pleasure I do, but I do every time. 
<laughs> they look at it and just stare for a second. I'm not getting laid. <laughs> Maybe if I just knock it over and be like, can I get an IPA? Like I could recover. Do you have any Imperial IPA? Yeah, right. I remember that was a, a mistake on my part. I, the Ninkasi Tricera hops. Oh, yeah. Cost like $10 more a keg back in, you know, three or four years ago. And I sort of fell in love with it, put it on without really thinking. And, and just be, like, people just, the gentlemen in particular, were just a little drunker overall. And, yeah, like, is your one IPA option, maybe a double IPA is not, not the way to go. Not ideal. It's like your only red wine being a Shiraz that's sixteen percent alcohol and Yeah, you know. And that's one of the things that I honestly last night a gentleman asked he's saying I'm gonna have two glasses. Um I think I'd like start with the uh and then like follow with a Pinot, but your alcohol percentages aren't on on the menu and so let me take a look and it was like fourteen point five and fifteen percent. A lot higher than I thought um, than I thought it was going to be, and, and I was I was surprised and kind of again yeah. always learning. I think it maybe makes sense to, to list the alcohol content because that's yeah that was a few percent higher than I would have guessed. Absolutely, yeah. So you're telling me about how you started eight years ago. Um, did you have other bars or restaurants <laughs> before that? Oh God, God. I mean the couple of things there my father was like had mostly one career he, he was like, general sales manager at the cbs and then fox and then cbs affiliate in spokane washington um i think he got a little restless and like bought a video rental store sold it and then bought a restaurant uh called frank's diner uh it's still there and it's still great it's like got you know rail car as its main sitting area and short order cooks that are not but like a foot and a half away from you. Yeah. Usually like pretty good with the banter. Um, and that was the first time I spent time in a kitchen, in front of a kitchen. Like, I, I guess they didn't even have a bar. I don't think they served alcohol. And the reason I remember that is because when my dad's friends were coming into town. They're like, we want to go, like, where should we go for breakfast? So we should go to Frank's. This is before he owned it. And my dad's like, that's not an option. Well, what do you mean? It's the best place. Like you don't serve beer. I see. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess that was my first first time in a restaurant. And and I graduated from Western and moved down. And like basically, one of the two friends I made in college had been driving from Bellingham to Seattle on the weekends to keep his shifts at a restaurant called Canyons in Montlake Terrace. And graduated and. I didn't really know what I wanted to do at all. And he said, well, I can, you know, I can get you a job. And so I started working at Canyons uh, as a server and as a bartender from 4 to 5 o'clock, which was just about the worst goddamn shift in the world because basically no one comes in. So you're basically a bar back, and they trick you into coming in and cutting all the fruit and, like, prepping. Like, so basically the guy who works all day, like, kills it. And then he just gets to clock out. This dunce who comes on, who was in fact me, they came on for like an hour, like kind of furiously study this one sheet of 
awful cocktails. Like just, just the worst. Um, change the liquor tree, which I don't know if you're familiar with the liquor tree. So you have, you know, a soda gun, obviously. And then in the back, under lock and key, you have half gallons of all McCormick products. And like it looks like a uh, like a Corrigan or uh, like a, a water, like the water dispenser where you flip it over and you put it down. Oh, no. <laughs> and this liquor tree then has lines that run to the gun. So everything is not only, like, precise. So you hit the button, and it pours an ounce and a quarter, which is probably more like an ounce. Um, and no offense, Gaines, but there's a reason that there's only one of you open anymore. Yeah. Um, I think the 13 Coins has that, too. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's more prevalent than I had any idea, but it's it's basically the best thing I did there was I programmed that gun to make a Long Island iced tea with the press of one button. Boom. Like, four things, sweet and sour, and I think I had to hit it with the other gun of Coke. But it was just like a boom. Done. I was like, that was my, like, greatest cocktailian <laughs> achievement for a very long time. <laughs> so, Canyons, is this like a TGI Fridays sort of Yeah, place? like, I used to say it was like a half step up, but... Now I, I think it was a step sideways. It's, it's really just the same thing. Yeah. Um, it. God, I mean, yeah, I, it's fun to blast on it, but they they ran. The owner was just just a real prick. I mean, just he's the kind of guy who does these things that you hear about. I mean, he you know he collected all your tips and then like basically divvied them out to the kitchen how he saw fit, like your tip out. And then there would be, like, all this leftover money for him to treat people to, like, a golf outing or himself to a golf outing. And it was, like, as a reward for something or other. It's, like, one of those things where there's a bartender who worked there who, I don't know, I guess taught me some things about service without me even realizing it. But they they kept offering him a manager position, and he kept turning it down. He just wanted to be Monday through Friday, daytime bartender. For life, like that was what he was like, good at that and selling pot to the kitchen. Um, but he, yeah, he just kept turning down management because he saw the managers there. You basically like become a really good server and then you become an assistant manager where the skill set is 100% different. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> he, he had it right, it's just smoke pot and like talk to people, make them feel good. And pour them beers and make them feel good about being, like, day drunk. Yeah, sling some mozzarella sticks. Yeah, oh, man. We kill those things. I remember garbage-mouthing mozzarella sticks. Just, like, hoping that they hadn't been sitting there too long, so they had so little of the gooeyness left. <laughs> so how did you go from there to, like, even caring about good cocktails? Um, I guess, I to me, it was... Well, I mean, half, it was a, a fluke. Um, an ex-girlfriend called me. This was about you know, six months, a year after uh, graduating from Western and working at Canyons. And she said that she'd been working at um, at uh, Carmelita um, and had met the head chef there and one of the servers, uh, Dan Braun and, and Sarah Hughes-Giles, and had been working side by side with them. And... They were opening up a new bar down the street, 
and needed a stereo system installed. She's like, I know somebody. Uh, and she called me up and you know, I said, sure, you know, like this isn't my profession or anything, but I can certainly do it. And they said, great. And they're on a shoestring. And I think I brought my own, like some speakers I had. I like wired my room up to play Halo in high school. Like 5.1 surround system in the smallest little basement bedroom. Uh, so I used that. I set it up for them. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, serving and, and bartending up the street. And, uh, I can't this. You want to bartend here? I said, oh, absolutely. And I just have to check with my ex-girlfriend. And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> so a year goes by. She moved down to San Francisco. And uh, somehow then uh, a coworker went off to open, or a, not a coworker at the time, but one of the bartenders at, at Oliver's uh, went off to do her own thing and they offered it to me again yeah um and i think basically i just been looking for something after college because I, I was a shitty high school student and became like a, a 3.8 college graduate which like you know i think surprised everyone including myself and just afterwards sort of spinning my wheels wanting to sink my teeth into something and this opportunity presented itself and i think Either I fibbed what I knew to Sarah and Dan, or they took a chance on me. Actually, both of those things are true. Um, and and I and like that, I'm not saying this Andrew Bohr experience was like a defining moment, but I didn't ever want to be put in a position where I didn't know something. I think this was obviously cell phones were around, but the quick like lookup thing wasn't yet like a mainstay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I just bought all the books and if I wasn't at work I was studying and learning and yeah I, I kind of just became obsessed and yeah and it's it's fun it's so much fun like if this is your thing if this is a calling for you it's I can't I, I can't uh, get behind it more than, than to pursue it because I uh, yeah I, I think you caught the bug at least for a hot minute oh yeah for yeah. sure it's yeah it's, it's intoxicating. Like watching, I mean, yeah, it's like watching Murray work. That cannot be overstated enough. Like when I was starting out, I thought I was sitting at, at Zigzag, watching like somebody special. And like, there's no lore around him at the time, at least for me. I was just watching this guy like being a master of his craft. And I was sitting there, like thinking, I was like had my notebook out, like, and I was gonna write these cocktails down that he was making. And I like I very quickly realized this was it really wasn't about. The cocktail, like, Murray makes great cocktails, um, but that's not where like, he, that's not where his specialist drives from. His specialist drives from giving people, walking out of Zigzag, just feeling like you had the most amazing experience, and and he gives that to people like, consistently, and I very, very quickly realized that I was not there to learn how to make drinks. I was there to learn how to just, like, take a little of his magic and you know, make people feel special about their experience. I, I, I think I coined this, but I've said it so many times. I totally could have copped it, and like I will, I will, I will be totally plagiarize this idea. But I just feel like I would rather have somebody walk out with an amazing experience and an okay cocktail than just like an okay or an amazing cocktail and an okay experience. Like I think there's just been some places that focused a little too much on on the cocktail and. 
I like that. I mean, I'm so happy that there are places that exist like that because they push the bounds of what we're doing and that kind of stuff trickles down to like bars like Oliver's Twist. But at the same time, like nobody wants to, well, I don't personally want to go into a bar on a regular basis that, you know, makes a perfect drink, but just like, like have a machine make me a perfect cocktail and, uh, and put it in front of me. That's not the experience I'm looking for. At, at a bar think of I want the banter and I want like interaction and I want to learn something and um, yeah I don't know that's the hardest thing to learn is to give that experience yeah and that's the thing is I think there are people you know and I, I remember a guy came in and I think he probably knew more about chartreuse than I did. I mean I think he knew, well, certainly knew more about chartreuse than I did. we were talking about it and he just said man I would love to be I, I like bartending looks to be wonderful. I just don't have it. And like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I mean, I'm sure this could be put more eloquently, but I just don't like people very much. <laughs> and I can't hide that. And I think that not, I can't hide that is the, the crux of, of, you know, being, I don't know, a good, not a showman. I don't like that phrase. There's probably a better phrase for it, but to just, to make people feel good about what they want, maybe nudging them just a little in a direction of out of their comfort zone, but doing it almost so they don't know that it happened. Um, so yeah, nothing makes me cringe more than to see somebody who like comes in there with their heart set on a lemon drop and having a bartender like like adamantly pushing them away from it, or like having them know this person know that they want a lemon drop. And then having them, uh, like, be felt, like, I don't know, kind of belittle their order, whether it's just kind of like a, a, like a subtlety or outright contempt, but nobody should ever feel bad about what they're ordering. No. It's, you know, if a stilly soda is what you want, then, you know, like, you should, like, absolutely, I'll be right back and present it and be like, stilly soda and like, nobody should ever even be able to read a facial tick, consciously or subconsciously, that what you ordered, you know, isn't up to snuff for what I think. Just, I don't know, what it comes down to it, it's your drink. It's not my drink. I don't have to drink it. Um, what about the opposite of someone orders a really, you know, inventive craft cocktail yeah. and... They can be worse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know... There's, there's been terms coined for them, and I don't know. I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But and I don't get it as often as I used to. But just like have the people sitting there, just they're leaning in. They half want you. They're like looking for validation. You know, that's it's just very odd. Like it's not, it's not for me to give that to you. It's, it's like they're not ordering uh, for what they necessarily want. They like ordered it to, to to try to impress the person standing on the other side of the bar. I remember I was sitting at at Sandbar, rest in peace, and, and Jay Keener, another one of the people that I emulate every opportunity, except for the open shirt. I can't show that much chest hair. I don't have that much chest hair. I don't believe that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Mr. Beaner, <laughs> and I was sitting there, and this guy was ordering it and he got it bad and maybe he had a, Jay had a little coming because his cocktails are just that precise and it draws 
that kind of crowd. Um, but this gentleman was like visiting Seattle and, and her should be sitting in front of Jay Peter's bar. And I swear he ordered esoteric cocktails and he ordered, I think an arsenal lace was one and the other couple like I lost me, but he would take a sip of it and he said, that is absolutely delicious. Thank you very much. Put it aside and order another one. And he's just he's like, I don't want to get drunk, but I want to have like, the full experience. So he was taking two sips of these drinks. It took Jay, you know, a couple of minutes to make each. And it was just one of those moments where he's like, this is like the jump the shark on this. this it's not about, it's not, it's, yeah, this isn't a fucking tasting menu. You know, this isn't, this isn't Jay Keener's tasting menu. This is like him making a cocktail for you. Because then you're, you know, you're taking him away from everyone else. It was just a moment of like, this isn't what I want to be a part of. You imagine the people that would have loved to enjoy the whole cocktail and it's just going to waste. Well, yeah. And Jay's attention, you know, I want, I want to like talk to him, like interact. And, and his head was down making these drinks that were like over the, not over the top, just Half, I think the gentleman wanted to. Uh, I don't uh, wanted to order them and look good in front of him, but it just the whole thing was so anti-experience. Like it wasn't. I think he was just missing part of what I think you know a, a cocktail experience or even just a bar experience is about. It, it felt like he wanted to be at. A place like a, where there's a tasting menu, a tasting menu, which I've heard that are people doing like a cocktail tasting menu, and a part of me understands that, but a part of me again falls back on it's just not the culture I want to promote. Um, well, and it's just I don't know, just I mean I don't know how they're executing it, but I, I can't imagine making three itty bitty drinks like you know I, the idea is pretty cool. We could have three daiquiris. Have like a Hemingway and aged rum and you know, white rum, all sitting there like getting the taste. I mean, it's basically what you know what Dan and I do when we're creating new cocktails. We'll have that experience. It's great. It's you know it's and it's, it's a little like deconstructing a drink where you make you know uh, a course driver number two, and then you have gin, lemon, Cointreau, and then Lillet or, or Cookie Americano. And you taste them and you feel like you learn what everything's going into, which I think is like the fastest way for a person to develop their palate and be able to, you know, make drinks up on the fly and generally do the magic, which you cannot see, but I'm air quoting right now. Um, and yeah, and anyway, it's like that's that'd be really cool for a tasting menu. I just don't know how they execute that in a way that like is timely. And I guess I put it into the terms of all these twists where I have one bartender at all times and I, I couldn't couldn't execute that uh, maybe like cocktails on tap could accomplish yeah it. I mean that's what I was yeah that or if you have you know if you're pre-batching everything together um, yeah just shake to order but right. it, it takes part of the showmanship and the, the technique away yeah, at that point isn't it funny it's like always like a real real fine line for me because you're always thinking of how to streamline the experience because all of our twists could just, no matter who you are, how fast you are, Murr the Blur is prime. 
think still scramble sometimes on a Friday night and all of a twist and um, and so you like how much do you pre-batch do you pre-batch how much like cheater bottles I mean, that's one of the things Brady brought from Rob Roy which is another one of my favorite places in town but the cheater bottle is like you know just a, a Schweppes soda bottle the label peeled off it just takes up so little room for those things Benedictine Fernet these things that typically have no more than a half ounce in a cocktail and it's it's been yeah a total game changer for all of us the, the whole mise en place back the back bar is completely different because of it and it, yeah i don't know if you step back there but it's it just instead of having 10 full-size bottles there that you're only putting a half ounce of taking up all that space it's just pretty it looks nice and uh and yeah and it's nicer to work behind it's dialed in and I think it's yeah, yeah. easier on your wrist too. You're not, you know. Yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> nice French bottles with the big fat bases. Remember, it's so funny how like, out of touch some spirit companies are. I remember a gin brand that we had as our well for a, for a time, and it had like a half inch base on it uh, that just every time. This is not good for me. Yeah. And and then a, a vodka company that like, actually we still use now. They, they took them about a year, but the, the, the tops wouldn't fit speed pourers in. No. It's like we want to be your well. You're like, all right, this is the price and product is solid. And like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I can't fit a speed pour in. Like, it is useless to me. <laughs> well, then you have these like craft artisan uh, spirits where the bottle. Is so craft that it takes up three bottles yeah. on your back bar and stuff. And then, or yeah, they're like, or you turn them sideways and you can't see them at all. Yeah. You know, and then it's, yeah, it's, somebody told me once, and I still don't know if this is the case, but the fact that companies are going to liter bottles mm-hmm. is less about like savings or giving you more and more about that like fourth to half inch wider pushing their competition out of the way. Which, A, I wouldn't put that past the spirit company. And B, seems far-fetched. Uh, right. Yeah. It's a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you've been behind the bar at Oliver's Fist for eight years. That's significant. Yeah, it's, it's significant. It's significant, I guess, period. And I guess that doesn't happen too often. Um, but, yeah, it's even more significant like, as I go like visit San Francisco and Portland where it seems like the way that bartenders work is they have their kit and especially you know it seems like bar managers or whatever that is like a beverage director i guess more apt term but they'll come in and they'll set up a a, a bar program they'll be there for about six months and then they're like okay and they move on and if you're not that kind of bartender you're the kind of bartender that's like works at two or three places which i you know i think there's real benefits there to see other people's programs that quickly to adapt, but get to pick what you want and what you don't want. Um, I, I think they can only make like, stronger bartenders. Um, and yeah, and it's something that I've actually, you know, that I've started to realize that I need to actually get out because they, Will Popko, who moved to freaking San Francisco, you prick, um, he was like my the guy who was excited about going and checking out new bars in, in Seattle and, and seeing what they're doing. And since he's left, like I, I don't make it out that often. And when I do, I find myself drinking like 
a beer, um, which I think is, yeah, it's what everyone's least favorite questions of our tender, like, what's your favorite drink? <laughs> like, that matters. And, you know, I mean, people get to be saying, it's a shot and a beer. And, and it used to be a joke, and I think I mean it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> without the shot. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't see... I don't see as much as I used to. Um, it's like an active like internet and like making a point to go to a new place and to yeah to see what's going on. I found that with myself, my initial interest in bartending was all about the drink and the technique, and that's all I would order when I went out. And I would be the one you know studying what the bartender was doing every little flick of the flick of the wrist. But then being behind the bar, that loses really important and it, it becomes more about what you're talking about you know, with the experience yeah it's i mean you mentioned it earlier and it's it's one of those things that i think often goes well it's, it's always noticed but it's not often thought about where like there's an energy and you know the staff and the bartender i guess in particular just because it seems you know at some places some places the focus is, isn't there but like there's a, a focus on the bartender and he, they can really, you know, I guess make or break is one way to put it, but their energy is just felt and they can create it and they can break it down. And so you can have like a bar tended by one person and it has a feeling and, and, and the customers too. I mean, there's a give and take with it that, you know, I mean, that like you were in last night, there was just an energy between people that, like, that was palpable. Yeah. You could just, you could feel it. And like everyone was, and it wasn't, I mean, it was, there was booze, but it wasn't that everyone was real drunk and loud. It was that, no. like, there were people there who all had an energy. And, um, and I think that always exists, like, for better and worse. Um, and that's like, you know, and then it harks back to Murray, to me, and another, like, zigzag and a bar that used to exist that, you know, you could get a delicious cocktail at this bar every time. But it was fairly sterile and it didn't make you feel like you wanted to order another one. Right. And and at Zigzag, you just, you didn't, you wanted to be a part of it. You you just felt like a draw. Like, I remember there's been, I've been with Zigzag 200 times, easily. And I think I've sat at a table twice. And I just, just... Looked like a lost puppy, just staring at the bar, trying to see what was going on and what I was definitely I was like had this terrible FOMO, this fear of missing out, and I'm like looking and yeah, I just there's that energy there that is just like I love the energy and that's the thing I was really worried when Murray left, uh, but Ben had set up such a stellar bar program and you know that's not that's, bar program is selling it short because he is so aware of that energy and that's like the level of service and why people feel special when they're there um, that like Eric and Ricardo um, Ian's there and Ian yeah, yeah. Scargill uh, my friend loves his hairy arms <laughs> I should definitely make it um, and yeah there's like such an entrenched system of, uh, of hospitality that that like seem to be able to hey like eric's been there forever and he's like the face of zigzag for me along with ben i guess sure um doherty and 
I, yeah, I was both surprising and I guess wonderfully surprising that it totally like stayed afloat. Not afloat. I mean, just still every bit zigzag with or without Murray. And I didn't think I'd ever say a sentence like that. I mean it, and I do. I don't think it's an accident. I, you know, no, I think oh, no. set it up for success. Oh, man. I mean, I think... It's funny because it's sort of an accident that Ben and Casey set it up as a bar for Murray. I mean, like, very, very much so. But in doing so, created a bar that was just set up for hospitality. Well, now that you're almost pushing a, a decade behind Oliver's Twist, and you've clearly embodied that spirit. Um, yeah. What do you see for yourself... Going forward, she's. I don't know. That's crazy. Like it's. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely. Yeah, man, I really don't know. So yeah, I love what I do, and I really, really love what I do. But I've been doing it for. I don't know. Four years in my current capacity is. I guess five years is, like, truly the bar manager. I mean, it went from like. Four nights a week, two lead bartender, two bar manager, and that's been my role, and I think I do it pretty well and, uh, and enjoy it. So, yeah, I really don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Really, really don't. It's like in one way, the world is your oyster. You could go do so many things, but it's like... Yeah, and that's... It's, it's funny because, I, you know... Like, because I talked to, yeah, especially actually right where we're sitting right now, Ben Dory and I, for the longest time, had coffee two or three times a week. And, and yeah. he's just truly been a, like a mentor and I think really enjoys that role. And, and I really have enjoyed learning from him. And you know, every time we talk and talking about things and, you know, what he sees as positives and all that, he usually ends up just saying, man, you've got it good up there. And... <laughs> And he's right. I mean, he's so right. Sure. I, I can't. Anything else I do would be to do something different because I, you know, have, I think it's like, basically it's the Murray schedule, which uh, I think I heard for the first time a while back. But yeah, four days in a row. Like, you have to do Friday because you have to do Friday. But um, yeah, it's the Murray schedule. I have it. And it's, I've, I've heard other bartenders. Like, that's what they strive for. It's the Murray's guess. It's a dream. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I have that. I basically get to control the beverage program however I want. And I mean, they, I remember, yeah, when I first became bar manager, I would be pestering Dan about something. What do you think? Should we do this? Should we do this? And he's like, Robert, we've hired you as the, as the bar manager because we trust you with this. And so you don't need to come to me with these right. things. Oh, oh, okay, crazy. All right, well, that's great. Um, and ever since, you know, I love him and his palate. Like I love having him around to bounce things off of, and he always has an idea coming from more of a culinary background. He like has great ideas and comes with like the shrubs. We would never, probably wouldn't have shrubs on our menu, except that he just got excited about them. He said here, and off and running with old Sally, and you know. Four or five cocktails now. Yeah, that yeah featured his shrubs. It's I mean it's great prominence on the menu that you don't see elsewhere. So it's yeah, it seems to be one of those things. There's the they're taking 
take you hold a little bit. Um, yeah. I always get excited when I see a shrimp cocktail on the menu. Um, and, and it's moments often screwed up pretty bad just because that vinegar is, is real tough to It doesn't to hide. Keep. No. No. It's not easy to make it play well with others. So, like, in... I mean, in the last few years where you've been managing, have there been times that really tested you, stretched your resolve? Um, no, I mean, that's, we're so, I mean, A, staff-wise, we, you know, I, I'm not an anomaly at all. I'm just twist. Right. And, you know, Brady Sprouse is in there, I think, for four years. Um, Ariel uh, is a server there. She's there a week longer than I now, I guess like, yeah. just this week, yeah. I have become the longest standing officer's employee. Sure. Suck it, Ariel. Um, <laughs> but there's just, you know, Nyla's been there for, Jesus, I'm going to say four years. And I get an angry text saying it's, it's five. Right. Um, so staff-wise, we are just like some of the lucky. I mean, we, we are so lucky. And I mean, it's because Sarah and Dan set this familial work environment where yeah. you know I mean that's and that's why when Sarah and I stare at each other after an interview like it's, it's more of like is this person going to fit in our family and then we very quickly know um, you know if they are or not which is hugely different than so many yeah, bars and I mean, restaurants I, where it's just can they yeah I, I think so um, revolving door yeah which is just yeah I don't know but yeah again all I can say is that we're really lucky um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, and I think one of the things is like that we have the longevity, uh, longevity that I have is that we don't stay open until 2 a.m. Right. Um, you know, I see so many, so many cohorts, friends, and, and people in the industry like, start their night after they get off at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and it's this pattern, like, pattern that I don't know, like, that I'm sure some people live and, and enjoy, but it's a pattern that just looks like hell to me. Where you go to work, and start start your night at three, sleep until two, have time for a shower, and, and start over again. Yeah. And it's, it's that I can't think of a recipe for self destruction more so than that. Going to sleep when the sun's coming up is kind of. I mean, you should do it. You should do it sometimes. There's, there's there, there are times for it. There are reasons. Oh man, that's <laughs> yeah. My favorite time is Will Popko. Probably good than a truck's driving by right now. But they're at this bar called, and there's experience in it. Uh, but, yeah, as a lifestyle, it's not pretty. It's, actually, uh, it's not fair to like, say it's not for, for some. But, no, uh, I mean, I remember nights at, uh, you know, mornings at Burning Man, just never sleeping right. and... That's the thing. I think that's a time for Adderall and, and <laughs> for whatever else because it's, this, you know, from what I've been told, like a pretty magical place where yeah. you want to be experiencing every moment that you can. Um, but 4.30 in the morning looks about the same. I don't know. Like it's, it's not special over and over and over again. I guess maybe you could be living a life where it is. I want to meet that person. Indeed. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you want to add? God, I don't know. Um, Do I have anything? 
Um, I think you've run me dry of my humorous <laughs> anecdotes. Um, that's yeah, basically. Uh, any anything uh, nefarious that you can uh, recount from uh, a time oh, behind the bar? That <laughs> you know. <laughs> There are some things that come to mind. I could say that we have lost more than one globe above the bar uh, because of a certain someone deciding that dancing, dancing on it after hours was the right thing to do. <laughs> and cleaning up glass at 3 o'clock in the morning is not the way a bartender should be. Well, I guess this is the way a bartender should be ending his shift. So, ah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's about as PG thirteen as I'm gonna would do. But it's, it's honestly, it's yeah. And maybe those uh, stories are meant for when they happen. And... Yeah, they're they're great. And like, but that's the thing is, is there anything worse than a bartender like self-aggrandizing himself? Like, I mean, that's not. They're missing the goddamn point. Right, and you know, spilling the beans, and there's always other people involved. And do they yeah. want those uh, stories told? So. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's both. It's like part of the culture that that you see things, and it's you know, it's like that terrible joke about the bartender. Not even a joke, but like a bartender having the same privileges as, as an attorney <laughs> or a doctor or a priest. Which, yeah, I think is a joke, but has has a, a splash of merit to it as well. I, oh. I can't tell you the number of things that you know. I mean, a Oliver Smith is a neighborhood bar first yeah. and foremost, so you you do form relationships with your customers. But just some of the things that I think it, it, it's a little bit of that. It's easier to talk to a stranger about right. things sometimes. Right, is that you kind of sit right in between those things as a trusted person and a stranger, and so sometimes it's it's just easier to uh, to to openly speak to. To a bartender, yeah, and I never thought about that before, but it does seem like you have have the qualities of a stranger and someone in a position where, whether we've earned it or not, like right. we give a little bit of trust to. Uh, it's amazing what people will tell you. Yeah. They sit down and even before they order, it's like you've heard about why why histories. they're ordering a drink, why they feel like they need a drink right now, or just got out of jail. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that one before. I, <laughs> you have? Yeah, I've no heard I, from uh, <laughs> one of the regulars, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. Ah. Um, oh, God, yeah. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, that... Yeah. But I, I feel honored to have that trust, and I wouldn't violate it, you know? It's yeah. Like, I, I can't imagine. I, I, I always think about people, and, you know, I, I'm sure I completely... I'm stereotyping this sort of career, but a person who goes in and sees the same six people who are mostly staring at a screen, like, and that's how you spend days from eight to five. I, I guess more power to them, and we, as a society, need them to be doing this. I guess, but but I I I, I simply I couldn't do it. So I, I guess there's partly I haphazardly fell into this career path, but. It, it's not that surprising. I think that if it's not this, it's something else that keeps me not sitting. I think the standing part is one of the things that I like the best about it. 
couldn't sit. I can't. I mean, I've never been able to sit from sitting for all night. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the dynamic nature of it and Ever social, social. Every night's the same in some ways and different mm-hmm. in other ways. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, I think that it's it, it's there's like an addiction to it. There's I think that there's it's not surprising that it's you know does it take people eight times of quitting smoking to actually get it on average and i think that it's not surprising when somebody's like i'm out like i'm, I'm done i'm doing this thing now i'm gonna go write code or i'm gonna go back to school and and i you know i knew you'd be back I knew you'd be back <laughs> i'm crawling back yeah <laughs> and I think that you know you asked me uh, the worst answer of saying I don't know I think about six times in a row but I think whatever I do do I'll always want to have like a Monday like a Monday Tuesday behind the bar somewhere whether it's you know pouring Coors Light in big mugs or you know pouring scotch whatever I'm doing like I just can't see myself completely giving up job because I think I do have I'm hooked I think I'm addicted to to being behind the stick which I don't even know what that means but (laughs) I say it well thankfully we know it'll always be around (laughs) yeah and you know when we're Murray's age and older we can still be doing it yeah I don't know it's incredible how exception keeps going it's like wow I remember guest burning it guesting down in San Francisco at uh, Loretta oh yeah and love that place woke up the next morning it's like Jesus I've never felt like this and it's from a goddamn cold draft ice yeah like having to fucking sling it back crack the ice on the way forward and I remember just being like the physicality of the job I just think I honestly I, I, there is there's been a little of this but I think Keith Waldbauer mm-hmm. um, done some just I guess more mental clarity things like workshops but just I would love I would buy a book in a heartbeat that like describe the physicality of the work and how to properly do these things to take care of your body because a lot of times people do it wrong for so long that once they try to correct it, it's just a longer path if they decide to do it. Or yeah. I just remember reading I think the PDT book. No, Death and Company, where they were everyone was talking about their shake style and I, I think like three of the six people uh, who who were used had had like something like a like a double shaker wild monkey like I think it's something along those lines and and he had since like modified his shake because of shoulder troubles and mm-hmm. I think three of the six people like used to shake like this and now they have a modified like double like in front of them shake look on the cow yeah yeah it's not nearly as sexy. Like, I, you should see Brady Sprouse shake. He's, he's, like, made it like a maraca. So he's, like, side to side <laughs> in front of him. And he gets his shoulders into it unnecessarily. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's doing something there. But it's just, yeah. It's, it's one of the more unique shakes I've ever seen. Well, Cameron George over at Barrios, but Cyclone, he has, like, sort of this you know, swirling action that looks <laughs> like he's kind of half stirring a, a witch's cauldron and half doing a, you know, cha-cha dance so yeah it's, it's one of those things like, awesome, i love but... watching like, having guys like john santer down a prize fighter who are so incredibly like precise about their technique and what the techniques are the yeah. bars that they work at 
but it just seems like one of the few things where it's like nearly pure personal preference is is the shake and everyone's like your shake's your shake and it's rare that i hear somebody being like you should be doing it like this but the stir is largely universal i mean yeah there's there's some variation there but just the elegant relaxed elbow up stir you know have you seen anyone stir two or three uh with one hand no this is a thing i've not seen it but it has been documented in ways where i believe that it's true and two and three at the same time which i am still like at a loss to wrap my mind that's amazing i know i know what I, I did see in San Francisco was um, the jigger technique, where <laughs> there's like one between the thumb and first finger, and then first finger and middle. There's like two jiggers, yep. and they're like flipping them and rotating them. I I haven't really seen that in Seattle at all. But. Yeah, I don't feel. I mean, I feel like we're like an OXO city, like yeah, almost universally. Universally. Um, I guess I think Canon. Um, I can't. Canon uses something. At least the last time I was up there. Use something that was theirs, um, like purely theirs, and probably I think probably from like, the fifties. You know, like, yeah. Like, what is the most expensive thing we can get from Cocktail Kingdom, and, and that's what they use. Well, I've been seeing the conical Cocktail Kingdom jiggers that have the steps on the inside, mm-hmm. and so people aren't filling them to the meniscus; they're like still treating them like an oxo. Right. I feel like if you have the conical jigger, you need to be doing the meniscus and like. I really, I I, is, I think that that those. When we started the San Francisco style is really sexy. It I is. I think it looks fucking phenomenal. Um, and I guess, yeah, if you're fast at it, you're pretty fast at it. But some day cocktails now are getting to the point where a fourth ounce is a fairly like regular increment of measurement. And yeah. those obviously, I don't think that there's any denomination on the inside of those. Um, no, they're just I think like straight. And half, half is the smallest. Of those, it's like half, three quarter, one, two, I would imagine. Half well, at, at Death & Co., they use little measuring spoons like you would if you're baking cookies, you know. it's Really? Yeah. It's like Does it look as dorky as I think in my head? Or uh, they're, they're, they're fluid at it, but, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. They keep them in a jar of water, and there's like, you know, six different. Huh. Um, yeah, Tyson was telling me about that. It's I, And I saw it, too. It's It's amazing. You go to these bigger cities, and they just like Seattle has its technique mm-hmm. overall, and San Francisco has its technique, and Japan has its technique. Uh, it's really pretty cool. Yeah, no, and that's, I think that's one of those things where, where you know, when I, I love that about like Portland and San Francisco, and what I hear in New York yeah. um, is that like their cocktail community is much more inclusive, and I think it's. Partly because those cities seem to have those bartenders who work at two to three places and, and rotate at a fairly, like, on a regular basis. So when somebody does, you know, come up with a spoon technique or whatever the technique is, <laughs> it, it can it has the potential to spread like wildfire and, you know, and be adopted by a city as a whole. Um, I don't know that, that Seattle has that so much. Or maybe, yeah, I don't I don't see it as often as, as I do, like the community it's like yeah one of the washington state bartenders guild is like a big push for that uh, anyway, i just like to see more of it i think they do a great job with the social aspect and people hanging out and forming relationships but the exchange of technique and yeah that area 
I don't see a whole but lot. Yeah, of it's side. getting, it's happening. It's yeah. just happening slowly. The drink well, Broadway's uh, cocktail classes, and uh, yeah, it's not so much guest bartending. I mean, it's almost like that's what it would take is guest bartending within the city, right? Which is like a very weird concept because that's just how bartending works in San Francisco. It's like you work at enough places that it's like that. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Because well, you see it at Rob Roy and, and Liberty sometimes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Especially bringing guys in from, from yeah, out of from, town. Well, right, and that's that's the norm, right? But it seems almost like to get like cross pollination within a city. It almost take the guest bartending in places. It's been fun though. I mean, every once in a while I get an opportunity. Like I've gotten to be behind the bar. I think at Rob Roy twice for yeah. events. I yeah, Drago's. Um, Nova Fogo has like bar on fire events which were just great Iran is one of my favorite influences in this industry he's always like putting a positive healthful spin on, on this industry so often does not highlight healthful life choices and I think that's what's going to help people stay in it longer is learning how to you know manage a night of drinking and yeah. get sleep and Take care of your body. And that's great. Like, you know, Portland Cocktail Week has whole seminars on both, like, longevity in the industry, how to transition from, like, bartending to something else within the industry that maybe suits certain lifestyles better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if nothing else, it, it shows that the industry is at least self-aware enough that they're trying to help themselves and help others. So, yeah. That's... Keith, Keith Walbauer is another one of those people who I just followed as I was coming up in the industry and he uh, he has always like, just been a kind person looking for the, like, the best way of going about this business and, uh, and to me I think he's, he's found it with uh, I think the Shambhala Center you know like yeah, yeah staying yeah. centered staying was, present and... yep that's what I was saying like where there's healthness on the, on the mental aspects is what I was referring to. Well, it's like the making the cocktail is creating something that is is finite and only exists for a moment in time and is to be enjoyed in the present moment and it's quite zen. <laughs> I guess if you're doing it. If you're doing it right, then yeah. If you're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you certainly are. Maybe um, without even knowing it, you're a zen master of the cocktail. Thank you very much, yeah, I, I've always thought of myself like as a craftsperson. Like you know, like people say, artist. That just it rubs rub, me slightly wrong. Yeah. Like I think, craftsperson to me, is is what what a certain style of bartending is all about, and it's it's taking like aspects of I don't know. And that's the thing is like woodworking can be putting a chair together that is functional as a chair or it can be an Eames chair that right. like transcends that and I, I don't know if a cocktail has the ability to transcend but I think that people trying to get it to constantly is, is not a unworthwhile venture it can't be forced it's like when we sit behind your bar go to zigzag and you just get the experience it's effortless right it's, it's an, and it's an aspect to me that's it's kind of got a vein that's run through this conversation is that the cocktail is an aspect of an overall experience that doesn't live in a vacuum you know like 
I mean, I, I've, I've made a cocktail for people that I know that they didn't enjoy as much as I wanted them to, but it, it's, it's crazy how sometimes that it didn't matter to them. Like they got this experience and they tasted chartreuse or maraschino for the first time ever. Yeah. And like, they didn't like the last word, gasp. But like, they like now know that one of the ingredients is made by monks and has been around and the color is named after the liqueur and like, and they, they drink, they, you know, typically it's drunk, but you could tell that they're not going to order another one, but they had a goddamn great time not enjoying that cocktail. And they're not going to forget it. Yeah. And I mean, and they, you know, they had an okay cocktail or not even an okay cocktail. They had a cocktail they didn't enjoy, but hopefully I think walked out with an amazing experience and. I would almost rather they did that than have like a, a last word and enjoy it in a sterile environment where they didn't have an experience to go along with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, I was thinking of like, you reminded me of going to pho for the first time and eating tendon and being like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. And no, but I can still remember that first time and, so, you know, did you choose to eat this? or Because usually when I, like, all my first experiences with pho, like, exotic meats or exotic meats to me and my pho, yeah. were somehow, like, a little screw you or a mistake from the kitchen where they, like, I ordered the flank and there's a just this piece of something that I didn't recognize that ended up in my mouth. And I'm like, what <laughs> the shit was that? <laughs> well, I was I was in L.A. in, uh, in Koreatown eating pho in Koreatown, but... I just felt like I'm traveling, I'm out of town, it's already a foreign environment. Why don't I just go for it? And it was like the first time I had tried Campari. I read about it in, you know, this bartending book and and I I suffered through my Campari and that right? <laughs> I I couldn't hang. I it was just like what and now it's like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Um it's so a we have sweet to for me. It's a little, it's a, a little sweet. <laughs> Yeah, those are those uh, other things. It's just you know the, the lady coming in, wanting a glass of wine, and realizing your experience is like, how far have I bent my palate, and how far removed is it from other people coming in? You know, it's I mean, it's one of those things where I'm sure, like a, a first generation, I don't know, say Vietnamese person comes in and they like their food that's spicy, and it's that's how they make their broth, and how much they must have to tone it back for this our culture and, and you can't just simply you know like there's no such thing as stars where they're from but you can't just five star everything like yeah the, the jalapenos on the banh mi's come on the side here instead of just being thrown on just the sandwich. in there right yeah and probably over there they're even hotter peppers like the thai peppers or the yeah scotch bonnets or whatever yeah so. gotta gotta tailor it to your crowd <laughs> so cool man cool thank you very much i appreciate it, was, it. yeah it was a great chatting with you yeah absolutely um, i almost forgot that hairy thing was there every once in a while so you might have to <laughs> edit out some fucks and some yeah oh we, we can keep those in <laughs> all right you know <laughs> so there he is a fine man indeed mr robert roland the music you've been hearing with this episode is by Xavier Cameron, based here in Seattle. You can find more of his stuff at soundcloud.com slash zavetown, spelled Z-A-V-T-O-W-N. 
Xavier is a good buddy of mine, and we have a tradition that started a few years ago of visiting Oliver's Twist on nights Robert is behind the stick. And um, back uh, way back when, Xavier and I were both working at Canlis, and um, on one night persuaded, uh, persuaded Robert to come into the bar uh, at Canlis to try a special for food that was running, a sous vide duck egg with moral mushroom foam and shaved black truffle. Robert indeed paid a visit and ordered the dish, while later showing much appreciation for the complimentary beverage or two that we sent over, uh, as well as good things about the food. He still gives me flack to this day about the $50 egg that showed up on the bill, and so it goes. Uh, he was a good sport at least. If you ever see Robert out and about, um, be sure to buy him some chartreuse for me. You can catch up with me at mediumplus.com or at facebook.com slash mediumpluseverything. I hope to be doing more interviews with local badasses soon, so keep in touch. Thanks so much for listening, and peace. So I was hanging out with this geologist, and we were talking about life, as people do. So he was telling me how his relationship with whiskey has been on the rocks lately, 